the volume. Right, we are back on another episode of Sports Gambling with Moneyline Monaco fired up on AMP. It is a beautiful Thursday in the neighborhood. It's an interesting episode. I'm talking three sports. I got value all over the place. I don't even know where to begin, but I will begin with King, of course, NFL we're going to talk Wimbledon. I'm going to tell you why you cannot bet any other person than who I'm laying down. And I will be in attendance. Grew up with a New York Mets household. My dad's from Long Island. I have suffered as a Mets fan, yet a San Diego Padre born and raised lad. Will the Mets and the Pods dance this weekend at Petco? I'm at least going twice. I might just get an Airbnb down there and live out this series I'm going to talk Mets Padres, what to do in that series, as well as how to capitalize on where the Padres specifically and a splash of the Mets are in their marathon of an MLB season. Let's go phase one here. Quarterback bets, baby. I know we got a while, but I want to talk out some fun ones. On DraftKings specifically, they have a incredible array of options. It's like a bachelor going in to a gosh darn grocery store. You're overwhelmed. There's so many aisles to shop down and so many fun things to sample. Costco sample, as I like to say. Let's start out with all things quarterbacks and my guy Aaron Rodgers. Now there is a bet, pace 11 to 1 for the Jets to have one plus passing touchdown in each game. So that would be essentially Aaron Rodgers throwing one tug a game and we cash this ticket 11 to 1. So let me take a step back. Aaron Rodgers, he's played 230 games in his career. He's thrown a touchdown in 203 of them. So he's sitting in his career, Hall of Fame with it, 88.3% of the time, which is way more than Polly Rudd and Anchorman with the you-know-what cologne, hits a touchdown, 88.3. How about 2022? Where was he in this most recent form? How about these Matt Damon apples? Throws a touchdown pass in every game except for week one. Aaron, interestingly enough, I'll never forget it. I bet it. I believe Liv had like a five-team parlay too. We put it together two years back when the Saints routed the Packers. He has really head-scratching week ones. But aside from that, 2022, he throws a tug every game. The only time, probably wondering, he's done this, and he has, was 2011. Didn't play week 17, Matt Flynn threw for six tugs, but he threw a touchdown every game he played 2011. That was the season the Packers went 15-1. and Drew Brees has the record. We know it. We remember it. 54. Rodgers interestingly enough, has the longest stretch in the history of the league of, or excuse me, in the history of his career, 19 games. So he's done this in succession over a season long. It's just been end of one season going into the next, but he's done it and he's hit it 88.3% of the time. I like his assets. I like them 
to utilize Rodgers in every sense of the word. And it's a fun bet. It's 11 to 1. You can put $10 on it, and you win 11 times your money. Let's talk the next one. I think Tua is going to have, if he can stay healthy, a huge, huge season. Not only is it a contract year, this is a guy that stepped up and showed up last season under Mike McDaniel and this offensive scheme in a way we haven't seen. How do I know that? He had seven games in his entire career with 300-plus passing yards. He had four of them last season under McDaniel, only played 13 games. So there's a fun bet out there at almost 3-1 to for him to go eight-plus games, eight games of throwing over 300 yards. He did it four times last year, only played 13. But my thinking with the continuity of Waddle and, and Hill and this offense and what we've seen, top four passing offense from last year, I think it's worth a baby sprinkle. Again, this is a, a running back scheme and overall running team that doesn't really care, in my humble opinion, to make a huge emphasis to run the football. I, I, you saw it last year. This was a Miami team, and, and they ran the ball serviceably. But would you, when you compare it to what they did in the passing game, there is no comparison. Miami's on the bottom seven, bottom eight in rushing, top four in passing. I think they doubled down on stretching the field. And let's also not forget, Miami made maybe some of the biggest moves between Bradley Chubb last year midseason with the Broncos, and, and they get Jalen Rams. So to me, two key pieces on a defense that already has a Wilkins, a Holland. There's guys and playmakers all over this Miami D. That's only going to help time of possession, more opportunities, and blowouts. I like it. Trevor Lawrence. This isn't a, a super in the weeds one. I just want to throw this out there. You have to, you have to bet him to throw a 4,000 yard season. He's sitting at 39.75 and a half. It's minus 105. He's two years into the league. He goes from 36.41 with Urban Meyer and he goes with Dougie Peterson for 41.13. Got through 472 more yards under Dougie P than he did with a guy who, again, I guess is the Van Wilder version of head coaches. Urban Meyer, was, was head was on a on an absolute year seven on his senior year on campus type mindset coaching that club, and he still, Trevor Lawrence, threw for 36-41. There is no reason he's going to regress, not to mention Calvin Ridley coming back from suspension. This is a hammer. Take out the Aaron Judge gavel, slam this bet. Trevor Lawrence might even be in the MVP discussion on the outside looking in this year. I think he takes another leap forward and the assets that he has and, and ETN, who's again, has dealt with health to start his career. I think he steps up as well, more balanced club. He's also a pass catching back, has that ability to be dual threat. I love T-Law over 39.75 and a half the prince that was promised. This one might be my favorite bet. In the entire, I would say the entire, the entire smorgasbord of quarterback bets. I don't know how you don't take a month of rent on this. Lamar Jackson, if he stays healthy, is going to flop, absolutely scrape, sprint. Derrick Henry stiff arm this all the way to the bank. 
725 and a half rush yards. It's plus 100. I don't even understand why it's so low. Five-year career, he's gone over this four times, including, how about this, the last two years where he's only played 12 games. He's gone over 725 and a half the last two seasons in 12 games, averaging 887.4. In his five-year career, if you're curious how he gets into the end zone, a little pay dirt, He's gone over six and a half rush touchdowns just twice. His rushing touchdown number is six and a half, also at plus 100. When he plays 15 games, he averages about 6.3. The touchdown prop and the discrepancy from the rush yards, I don't know how we don't double down on the rush yards. This is a, for the last three seasons, top three, top five running, running offense, they run the pass. Now, maybe they're trying to get ahead of this is not Greg Roman's offense anymore. You have Flowers drafted. You have OBJ in the mix. They got three, four weapons between Mark Andrews. If Bateman can stay healthy, these two lads, let alone J.K. Dobbins, maybe to take away a little rush yards. That would be my only devil's advocate thinking here. But I, I'm an optimist when it comes to these kinds of things. Really, I'm an optimist in life. But you look at Lamar and what he is now sitting in, in the pocket, metaphorically and literally speaking, he's sitting on a little bit of security. He's got comfort. He's got his contract. Some guys would maybe go a little NBA with it. They got their money. I think Lamar Jackson has a lot more heart and a lot more dog than the media mainstream gives him credit for. I think in that locker room now, I've heard I've heard a couple of murmurs. I do know a couple of people randomly um, that are on the Ravens, but I hear otherwise good things. One of my good buddies, actually, brother was on the Ravens for four seasons. I heard nothing, but Lamar Jackson is committed to winning and committed to the team. Last but not least, on the volume sports YouTube here and there with our Uncle Colin, Joey Burr, plus 550 to throw 400 more, 400 or more yards in three plus games. Just hear me out. 2021, 2021, 400 plus three times, 500 yard game. Last year, 400 plus in one game. 2020, 400 plus in one game. So, You've seen this man scorched to the point where he is Devin Booker in a points-per-game statistical category once or twice. Can he do it three times? I do believe he can. We don't even know where Mixon is right now. With his off-the-field-ish. This team is moving forward full steam, not to mention Burrow is in, again, a contract, at least negotiation situation in his young, I would say, future Hall of Fame career. Plus 550 for a guy to throw over 400-plus. I just think it's a fun worth a sprinkle. So those are some fun ones. A couple of them straight shots, the the T-Law and the Lamar. But Burrow to throw 400-plus I think is appetizing. I do believe Tua can hit that number. And I think 11-1 for Rodgers to throw a tug a game is just a fun. If he can just get past week one against the Bills and throw a touchdown, I think we are actually on to something with that one. That is the easily most appetizing flyer as far as a big-time value payout. All right, let's switch to Wimbledon. 
Yes, we're talking tennis in July. Welcome to betting in the summer. And we're rounding out with baseball. So make sure you really stick around. But the 36-year-old in the year of Serbian sports, in the year of the Joker out of Serbia, I mean, I'm convincing my brother to make a painting of half Novak, half Nikola. This is the gift that keeps on Serbian giving. Novak to win the Grand Slam that is Wimbledon. It's such a lock. If there is such a thing and, and a word to ever be used, I don't know how you don't do it. And it the tournament is underway, but he was minus 140. And again, minus 140 to win a tournament in tennis. I do bet tennis enough. That doesn't happen almost ever. Now, I went two for two. I took Igas Viatek and I took Novak in the French Open at Roland Garros. None of them were laying juice. They were still plus money. I think Novak was around plus 220, plus 250. Now, we know about the head-to-head-to-head career-long dance between Federer, Nadal, who owns Rowan Garros, and Mr. Novak Djokovic, who is going for his eighth career Wimbledon title and would tie Federer. Let me give you all the accolades so I can sell you on why you have to punch this ticket. He's won his last three majors he's played it. He's a big-time player. He is, I'm trying to give you off the dome, a basketball player. He might be Jimmy Butler. He might be Jimmy Butler. He shows up in the playoffs, in the Grand Slams in a way I've never seen. Regular season, he's still great, but you're not talking about Novak in the non-majors. In the majors, Wimbledon, Australian Open, French Open, WWW. Now, we did have that not vaccine, couldn't play in Wimbledon two years back. Sitch, he does have a chip on his shoulder for that time. But here's the thing. He's an all-time Grand Slams winner. He's got the 23. He is ahead now, finally, of Nadal, whose just body's getting to him now, and Federer, who's clearly chilling on some island. 23 titles, 11 runner-ups, is our man in this tournament. He's won 28 matches in a row 29 in his last 39 on center court his last loss at the all england club wimbledon was a retirement match against the lad in the 2017 quarters and it was an elbow injury that sidelined him that time and the rest of the season his last loss as far as most famous on that court 2013 to Andy Murray. This man has won the last four Wimbledon titles. He will look to become the third man ever in the open era to win it five years in a row. Federer did it from 04 to 08. And of course, Borg did it first, 76 to 80. Five Wimbledon titles in a row. How about this? If he gets to the finals now, to me, it's him, Alcaraz, this young kid who is the future of tennis. Sitsipas is, is there as, as probably a young lad that is working his way up. But Carlos Alcaraz, if you do follow the sport, is the next man up to be a decorated champion. He's just not there yet. He's a kid buying a beer. Buying a beer with a card against a grown man. And I will take grown man strength against a kid 11 out of 12, 10 times all day. Boxing ring, octagon. Tennis court, doesn't matter. One-on-one, mano-a-mano. Give me the adult in the room versus the kid working his way. It just happens like clockwork. When he gets to the finals, and he will maybe dance against Alcaraz, well, it just depends on how we're looking at 
the bracket and how it shakes out. Medvedev has actually dropped it to 20 to 1. There's just not a lot of competition against him. But if he gets to the finals in his career at Wimbledon, Novak 7 and 1. He only lost that Andy Murray 2013 outing in the finals. Think about what Federer has done. Think about how competitive this Grand Slam is. And he is coming in on more than five years. Five years of not losing a match on grass. Now, that's the one caveat with betting tennis is three surfaces. You have grass, clay, hardcourt. This is grass. He's 109 and 18 in his career on grass. That's an 85.8% winning percentage. 85.8% victorious on grass. 109 and 18. This is even more fascinating. You have to go back years, years. Nobody wins this tournament, not name those three men. Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Andy Murray, you have to go back so far. Here's another interesting thing. He beat Federer and is the only player. This is Federer's tournament. This was his major. He's the only player to beat him more than once at Wimbledon. He did three times. And all of them were in the finals. This man beat Federer three times in the finals. 2014, 2015, 2019. You just have to take him. Just trust me that he's not going to slow down. He is starving, hungry. I saw the post game when he won the French Open, apologizing to his family, to his coaching staff, his trainers. The guy's all in. You just have to appreciate at this point, whether you watch tennis or not, because we were gifted in that sport with three greats at one time. It's hard to even compare. It'd be like if Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and a third were that prolific for that long in a single one-on-one sport. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Novak's going to win it all. And the women's side is interesting. I do believe I, I put I put money on on Iga, but she does not play on grass the way she plays on clay. And she's around plus three sixty. She is the number one ranked woman in the in the world. She is a four time major winner, but she hasn't won at Wimbledon, and she actually has only gotten to the round of 16. Now, it's going to be be between Rybakina and Sabalinka. Sabalinka is an interesting 5-1 to one future. She's second in the world. She did win the Australian Open earlier in the year. This is a, this is a flyer, but someone who does play Iga very well and play on grass very, very prominently. It, it, to me, I, I'm going with Chalk. But I do think if you were to go anyone, I think Sabalinka is worth a look. And as we round out the show, I want to talk a little Mets and a little Padres real quick. I'm in San Diego. I will be going to Petco Park probably twice, maybe three times this weekend. Huge, huge implications for both teams in baseball right now. Verlander versus Darvish, Friday night, Petco Park Lights, baby. It's going to be a doozy. Verlander's 3-4 and four with a 3.66 ERA. Darvish is 5-6 and six with a 4.84. Let me just lay the table because I'm going to talk about a couple of bets here for these two clubs and see if you want to rock with me. I like the Padres in this series. Padres coming off a sweep of the Angels. Otani went down. Trout went down. The team 
looked excellent. Xander Bogarts hit for the first time all season. And this club, who again, you got Kim, Tatis, Soto, Machado, Bogarts, Cronenworth, who was an all-star second baseman last year. The, the lineup is so filthy. It doesn't even make sense they're under 500 on the outside looking in. But the beautiful thing about baseball, it is 162-game season. It is such a marathon. You can find spots like this Cincinnati Reds team that went on a double-digit win streak they haven't done since NAM. You are looking at two clubs, and the Mets have won four in a row. The pods are off an Angels sweep. You're looking at two opportunities of value here. Now, just to let you know how underperforming the Mets have been, the Mets didn't win a series in the month of June. They had a worse record than the Oakland A's. At one point, they lost seven in a row, swept by the Blue Jays, swept by the Braves. But they took their last two of three, won the series against the Giants. Sunday night baseball, I was on a plane, watched the whole game. 8-5, 2-1 against the D-backs who lead the NL West, believe it or not, if you're paying close attention to National League Baseball. The Pods are 23rd and the Mets are 21st in batting average. They're 16th and 17th, respectively, in runs. There is such an underperforming moment here on both of these lineups. Now, the Mets lineup isn't the Padres lineup as far as star power. But again, you still have a Lindor, an Alonso, a Nimmo, a McNeil, a Marte, who's due since last contract. They have pieces. Buck has taken an interesting managerial stance, not panicking, but the starting pitching for the Mets and this and the hitting for the Padres are two areas specifically where I'm not giving up on these two teams. The Mets were a top five batting average club last year. Top five batting club, batting average. And their pitching staff was top 10 in ERA. Right now, the Mets are an embarrassing 21st in the MLB with a 446 ERA. 21st. The Padres are six with a 381. Snell, Musgrove, not really Darvish, and Michael Waka, of all people, for the Padres, starting pitching wise, have actually had three of those four lads very good starts to the season. The Max Scherzers, the Verlanders, the starting pitching staff and the turnover and the Stevie Cohen largest $360 million payroll in the history of the sport. It's not going as planned. It's not going as advertised. I mean, again, the, the curse of the Mets is so real. It's sick. I've lived in a household experience, zero championships from it. I still got the Subway Series 2000 hat right next to my 1998 Padres NL pennant hat. Both teams caught an L to the Yankees. Hater, David Robertson. Both doing very good jobs closing for these clubs. Though, of course, Diaz goes down the WBC. Robertson stepped in. 13 saves, 188 ERA. Without talking your face off, I like the Padres in this series. But I want you to think. Think about where we are in the National League. Because right now, the Padres are plus 330 to make the playoffs. I'm going to start with them. There is no way, no how this Miami Marlins club first in the wild card is going to stick this out. I don't even believe what I'm watching. They're playing small ball. They're playing Tampa Bay Rays-esque baseball. I respect it. They're going to have to peel off at some point. The Dodgers are having the worst season they've had in the last 10. They're in the wild card conversation. And the San Francisco Giants, who are shocking just as many people as the D-backs, are right there in the midst as well with the wild card. The Padres are behind Philly. Now, the Mets are in that same area, a little bit worse. Mets are plus to make the playoffs. 400 on DK, and the Padres are plus 330. 
you have to think about it like this. Two clubs that were juiced favorites-wise to make the playoffs. The Padres were a coin flip to win the West with the Dodgers. The Mets were second to the Braves to win the East. The Mets won 100-plus games last year. The Padres haven't spent money like this since before literally the Mac computer came out. In the 90s, they're finally spending money. These, like the stock market, will balance out, will correct themselves. I don't know how you don't flirt with both of these teams making the playoffs. I do not trust the Marlins. I certainly don't trust the San Francisco Giants. I think the Dodgers, again, they do have some pieces. Mookie, Freddie, couple of guys. You can't just let go of piece after, after piece after piece in LA and just expect the Dodgers are going to continue to show up and show out. So I think there's turnover in this season specifically from last, but there's also opportunity midseason. I think the Cardinals, who look absolutely unthinkably bad, first time in two decades, maybe they come out last second like a horse at the Kentucky Derby and win it over 5-1 to one the Central. The Central's wide open. The NL West is wide open. The only thing that's a lock in the National League is the Atlanta Braves are winning the East. I'm not telling you the Mets are catching the Braves. Nobody's catching the Braves. It's the Braves' pennant to lose at this point. And everything they're doing GM-wise that the Mets aren't is just being exposed and laughed at. But remind yourselves, three NL East teams, the Nats, the Braves, and the Phillies last year had really bad starts to the season. This is not the NFL. This is arguably not even the NBA when it comes to recovery. You can have a bad month or two in Major League Baseball and turn it around. There is so many circumstantial things moving. And I look, I'm a baseball guy. I'm a left-handed pitcher. I played for 14 years. I love the sport. I live for baseball. A lot of people don't. From a betting perspective, it's clearly fourth, fifth on the totem pole for me. But it's a fun sport, especially with this pitch clock now. It's a lot of exciting things happening in baseball. But to wrap it up, remind yourselves that this batting average and this run distribution for both of these clubs, 23rd, 21st in BA, 16th and 17th in runs, it, it doesn't even make sense with the star power and the overall top to bottom balance that these lineups have. And then secondarily, I disbelieve in the Padres pitching. I believe in Bob Melvin and Brock Showalter actually has a 20% increase in the history of year one to year two in his managerial career of uptick on teams he manages. This is an anomaly for a Buck Showalter second year managed club. I do think they turn it around. I think the Mets, again, Stevie Cohen had a press conference that was interesting. He stayed optimistic and he said if they could turn it around, they might even make a move at the deadline. That, that's a team that would make a move at the deadline. I like them both over three to one and four to one to make the playoffs. Marlins, D-backs, Giants, all playing above their head. Padres, Mets playing below sea level. That means there's room for opportunity. We shall see how it shakes out. I appreciate you guys listening. As always, don't forget to hug your mothers. We'll see you tomorrow for more betting. The Volume.